Welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. So glad you were with us this afternoon. Have we got two fantastic guests today? Uh, we'll bring you a little bit of local news, the crazy stuff going on. Um, also, a little, um, and Dr. Um, Javier Figueroa is with us. Uh, he's been absent for the past couple of weeks, keeping busy working. Um, so glad to have you back. How you doing? I'm doing great. So good to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's so good to see you. Um, were you excited to hear about our guests today and the good news that they have? <laughs> Absolutely. This is yeah. going to be a case that's going to get cracked wide open. Yeah, yeah. So before we bring on our first guest, um, a couple of things I wanted to to talk to our uh, listeners about. One is... Um, be empowered. Be uh, know that your individual voice, you, the choices you make in your life, matter. It's it's like that movie A Bug's Life when the ants figured out that they have more power than those grasshoppers who are intimidating them. If they just united and each one of their little voices counted and they work together, and by that I mean vote. Okay, so here it is, first full day of fall. It's it's end of September. We got like what? I don't know. There's another five, six weeks until elections coming up. And if if you haven't been paying attention as to who stands for the things you stand for. And if you're a listener to this show, that's medical freedom um, on many fronts, um, you know, then you need to learn now. You need to learn who's running for office. And I don't care what party they're with. Find out where they stand on the issues that are important to you, impacting your life. If medical freedom is your issue, you can go to Stand for Health Freedom, standforhealthfreedom.com and go to their Vote for Health Freedom page. And they're assembling voter guides. They've got people throughout the United States working hard, um, sending out surveys to candidates and then putting, um, pulling their answers together, creating voter guides so that you can make good votes um, based on what you believe in. They've done that work for you. So StanfordHealthFreedom.com, that's so mm -hmm. important. Um, because we want to combat things like, I'm going to do this little bit here of what's going on in Washington State that we're going to bring on our guest. Um, you know, Governor Inslee still has a state of emergency, which he claims he's pulling on October 31st. He's been ruling the state by, um, you know, this executive order for all this time, 900 and some days, says that he's pulling it. Um, but he's going to keep vaccine mandates for, he says, all state employees. And he's going behind the scenes. He's used, he's compelling, coercing, arm twisting state agencies to use their rulemaking authority to try to mandate it for state employees. It's just appalling. But the latest thing that he is doing, um, it was in the news that he's working with the unions 
um, and and others, non-union employees. I guess he thinks he can do this, but he's also working with the unions because he's not going to mandate the boosters. He's going to offer everybody a thousand dollars to get them. With what money? Uh, taxpayer money, apparently. I mean, where else would he get money? So basically, it's 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 a bonus pay for uh, union members and state employees that it hasn't Ooh. been legislated or, or approved by by the legislature. Yeah, and and over and above that. <laughs> Um, illegal use of funds. And what about people and the discrimination against people with religious beliefs against getting the booster? People who have medical reasons for not getting the booster? Well, everybody, if you're a human being, you've got a medical reason not to get the shots, but that's, um, they won't write medical exemptions for being human at this point, but they should. Um, You know, they're not getting, but above and beyond that, hello, How do you have rational dialogue and conversation with an individual who believes it's ethical to offer a thousand dollars to an individual who would to to take a medical intervention that comes with the risk of myocarditis that within a certain amount of weeks or months causes negative efficacy against the infection you're trying to prevent? Exactly. Who I mean, how do you how do you reason with them? It's, it's so appalling. So if you don't like that now, you know, the governor's office is not up for election right now in the state of Washington, unfortunately, but there are a lot of offices that are, are open. And if you want to begin to take back some personal medical freedom control and, and, and have your legislators be able to be effective, you need to go find out who stands for medical freedom, who's against medical mandates and, you know, do what you can to support them. Um, amen, right? <laughs> amen. No, this is, again, illegal, unethical, and just plain wrong. Just plain wrong. I hear you. But you know what's just plain right? In this great nation, we have, every state has a constitution that the state is founding on, and it's very strong. And this United States of ours has a constitution that is very protective across the land. And in this great system, we have attorneys who know the law, who know our rights. That's right. And throughout this crazy couple of years, going on three years now, there have been individuals who have fought against all odds and all insanity to protect our rights. And one of them is New York attorney Patricia Finn. And we're going to bring on Patty Finn. She's been on the show before, but I tell you, she has got some exciting news. It's so very exciting. I'm going to let her tell you what it is, because this is, this is like, I want to drive up to New York, Patty, and crack open some champagne that you did this, you with your tenacity. So I'm going to let you go ahead and and tell listeners what you've achieved. Um, Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. It's good to see you, Javier. And uh, I think we were on together the last time. Yes, we were. But anyway, I'm, I'm ear to ear. Uh, it's smiling here because we we are definitely going to SCOTUS, and uh, I don't tell know everybody what SCOTUS means. They might our it, listeners yeah. might not know that <laughs> the Supreme Court of the United States, and uh, little old Patty uh, happened to get uh, the attention of um, uh, Justice Thomas, and he's agreed to at least consider my case, and I'm I'm just. 
I don't know if you do you remember that lawyer Shakir Akiva uh, uh, Sh that we in uh, interviewed and he had one in the Supreme Court. Oh and, yes, yeah. And mm -hmm. he was ear to ear, and I kept yeah. saying, "Gosh, you look so happy." <laughs> <laughs> now I know yeah. why. Although yeah. uh, he had gone much further than I, um, you know, we have uh, we're going to be briefed on October seventh. And uh, if we get a ruling, it'll be on October 11th. But okay. I feel really good about it because I don't think um, Justice Thomas would have selected our case or at least allowed it to proceed if they were going to give us the boot. I, I think um, I finally got it right. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I benefited from my own mistakes or, or I, I wouldn't call them mistakes, but my own, you know, losses, lawyers lose a lot more than they win, you mm -hmm. know, when you do the work we do. Mm -hmm. But right. I have managed to win, you know, some pretty remarkable cases against yeah. all odds. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not that smart. And No, you I, are. Uh, you <laughs> are. But, hey, Patty, wait, now, now that we, we kind of ended with the victory of where we are, but let's back up. I want you to take us to the beginning. It's a New York City um, police officer who was facing the city COVID-19 vaccine mandate and he found you. So to so walk listeners through all the work you did to get to this point where now the case is before the Supreme Court. Yeah, I'm sorry. I guess I, I jumped to the end. And That's okay. I asked you to. It's good. I sort of <laughs> overlooked, you know, the brutal road it took to get here. And yeah, and uh, this was a very interesting case because we actually won in state court. And uh, we, we began in December, and the plaintiff is a detective with the New York City Police Department. And he's a father of three children. He has natural immunity from COVID. He was a frontline worker, and he was out there, got exposed, and, and developed immunity. And nobody seemed to care when uh, these brave people were out there risking their lives. Nobody, you know, even back then, I remember, I mean, in the back of my mind, I was going, you know, and I, I don't know, just say it was another hoax, but I was like, I don't believe God makes viruses to kill its people, you know, I, kill its people. I just, I know people get sick and terrible things happen, but in my mind, I was like, this is definitely pharma. And pharma oh. has been involved in, you know, a lot of the atrocities yeah. in and pandemics. Exactly. And, you know, Patty, since you and I last talked, either on your radio show or mine, we've come a long ways and it's, it's out there mainstream now. Yes. The, oh, yeah. The general belief now, it's not conspiracy anymore that this virus came from a lab. It was genetically um, altered, made to really be highly infective to human beings. And, you know, and Tony Fauci is in the hot seat. So, uh, yeah, so go on. So, so here you are. You've got this detective. Well, uh, He's yeah, got natural so immunity. I have to tell you about this detective, though. His okay. name is Anthony. 
and um, he's in his 30s and, you know, he's he's pretty well on his career mm -hmm. to be a young man and a detective. And if this is a little sidebar, but my father was a detective in the New York City Police Department. And he reminds me of my dad when Aww. I was younger. And it's 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 weird. It's like cathartic almost, you know, I mean, I could be his mother now. And then and yet he reminds me of when I was little and my mm -hmm. my dad was in his shoes. So I immediately, you know, loved him to death and, and he deserves uh, everything because he's sacrificed a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. to to be out there and out front but anyway uh, we began in state court and we won it was like unbelievable we got an injunction uh, I was the only case to get an injunction and the following day the city of New York moved the case to federal court of course it did and yeah and I I really was sandbagged a little and I I wasn't expecting that because you know money is uh, litigating these cases is is very very difficult and Absolutely. I've generally tried to avoid a mess you know mm -hmm. uh, a lot of big firms that get involved they spin their wheels and they complicate everything and I'm like no this is you know straightforward so boom, right out of the gate, you know, we're in federal court and it, it ratcheted it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were in front of a, a lovely judge, um, Judge Rakoff uh, in the Southern District of New York. And, you know, although I, I disagree with him and I, I disagree with his ruling, you know, he's, he's someone I admire. And, um, but he was kind of, uh, I think he is pro pro-vaccine yeah patty can you explain how in the state court you say you won you won an injunction but that didn't end end it the state was still able to say i'm going to move it to another court so the case kept going can you explain yeah. that to the listeners who don't understand the law like me <laughs> well i i was a bit surprised myself but um, I had raised state court issues as well as constitutional claims, but my constitutional claims were predicated on the state law issues. Right. So you don't even get to the Constitution until you resolve the state court. Oh, and okay. The, the judge in the federal court disagreed, and he, he took the case and he summarily dismissed mm. so then i appealed uh to the second circuit court of appeals which um is not a vaccine friendly court you know unlike say the fifth circuit uh where you know we've had a lot of favorable decisions the second circuit um, has not received any of my cases. This is, I think, the sixth or seventh time. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've taken a couple of beatings in this court, but we live in New York and, and this is our jurisdiction. So they didn't necessarily turn me down. They gave me a decision where they said they agreed with me, 
but they didn't explain how and they didn't give me the injunction. So then I moved in the Supreme Court and our justice, our associate justice is Sonia Sotomayor and uh, she is from the South Bronx and, and mm. someone I, I adore. I don't agree with this single opinion, except <laughs> for Brucevitz. Yes, I was just going to love the Brucevitz. Yes, yeah, she, she no. had, you know, a killer dissent. And I yeah. thought, well, this does have a lot to do with liability. Yes. And, and what I argued is um, that if you are injured by a vaccine, uh, particularly COVID, you get nothing. Right. You can't you can't sue anybody. You you there is a compensation program, but it's illusory. Nobody I, I, I don't know of anybody that's ever gotten any money out of that program. I think I did hear from Wayne Rohde. Mm. Uh, there was nine in 10 years, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's hundreds of thousands of vaccine injuries. So I was kind of hopeful that Justice Sotomayor would, um, you know, be interested in the liability aspects, but she turned me down. Mm. And then I had the opportunity to go to a different judge. And I I chose um, <laughs> like rock stars, right? For yeah. me, they are anyway. Yeah. Um, I chose, uh, I asked uh, Justice Thomas, because he's, you know, he, he's a conservative and he's a constitutionalist. And this is a straightforward case, you know, and it's, I don't know if vaccines, well, I do know, but I didn't allege whether they work or they don't work. I, I didn't do anything. I did exactly what Javier had pointed to in the beginning. You know, I pointed that the legislature is, is the only authority to mandate a vaccine mm-hmm. and in New York State and in all other 50 states adult mandates are prohibited by by statute so mm. it's it's not even a constitutional issue the state law in New York clearly prohibits adult mandates as opposed to school required shots mm. which is the next fish to fry. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and our next guest is heading us in that direction. We've got Greg Glaser from the Physicians oh, Reform Consent with his control group litigation coming on next. So we got a I great two it. hours here. <laughs> got a quick He's question like for you. Favorite lawyer ever. Yes. Got a quick, quick question for you, Patricia. So the state ruled in your favor, but wouldn't give you why? The the state gave me an injunction, the state court, but then the federal court dissolved my injunction. And now I'm in front of the Supreme Court and I'm asking them to reinstate my state court injunction. But at this point, I doubt the Supreme Court would have taken it if they were simply going to reinstate my stay. Yeah, there are no factual issues. Nobody is disputing the facts. No one is disputing uh, my client works for the police department. Nobody is disputing the mayor is mandating 
uh, a vaccine. So it's, it's purely a question of law. In some of the religious exemption cases, which I've, you know, tried many, um, it, it's, or, or medical exemption, you know, there are questions of fact. In, in religion, uh, you know, here in New York, they test your religion. Are you sincere? I, I would submit that's unconstitutional. It but, is, yeah. um, <clears throat> According to New York courts. And... Uh, well, Patty, you've got to get it before the Supreme Court. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm going to be working with them on that. But uh, quite yeah. frankly, I've, I've anybody that's listened to me speak before, the, the Constitution is not going to get us out of this. It, this is very similar to the abortion issue. In Dodd, the Supreme Court overturned Roe. Right. The Supreme Court did not say abortion is illegal. Uh, what they said is the Constitution doesn't recognize a right. Two, right. Uh, and right. So if you're in a state like New York where you can, you know, they pay you to get them, then uh, you have no problem. Now, I, I do understand some people in other states where the law is stricter. Yeah. Uh, is not they're not happy with that. I have no comment on that other than to say I believe the court was correct. The Constitution does not guarantee a right of abortion. The same is parallel when it comes. Well, the court has held its parallel, but I don't think it is. I think one arguably, well, one definitely involves ending a life. The other involves potentially injuring a life, and that would be injecting a vaccine that could mm -hmm. kill you. Mm -hmm. but, but the constitutional issue that remains similar is the Constitution is silent about vaccines. So, you know, similar to Dodd, the Supreme Court has repeatedly held um, you have no constitutional right to refuse a, a lawful mandate. And that goes back to Jacobson. By the way, I quoted you, Bernadette, in my papers. I don't know if you read them. No, I didn't know you did. I, I talked about the inbreak in Brooklyn that oh, I didn't okay. understand. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, who is it, Greg, had mentioned the advent of the electron microscope, and I had not considered that either. Mm. You you cannot compare science today to science a uh, hundred years ago. No, and you can't compare um, attempting to mandate receipt of a product when there is no emergency, and you know, and to have it, you know, because with Jacobson, as you have said many times, Patty, it was it was in a very limited time that this right. could happen. It wasn't forever as they're trying to do now, um, have it become just part of employment when there is no emergency and when the product doesn't work. But again, you were wise not to put the product on trial, but just the, um, well, the we're, actual we're, law. we're definitely putting the product on trial, <laughs> but uh, not, not in this case. In fact, yeah, yeah. Uh, next week, you know, uh, with Make America Free Again and their uh, loving and generous support, Pam Popper, 
mm -hmm. who I work, I'm general counsel to MAPA. And, um, you know, we, we have, she wrote a dossier about the origins of COVID and um, the lab creation aspects of it. And Congress has clearly recognized that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, there, there's more to, more to come. And uh, okay. definitely the children's vaccine, all, although it, it is clearly a legislative issue, mm -hmm. it's, it's wrong on so many levels. And, and yeah. I don't think parents realize, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're giving your kids 65 dangerous vaccines by the age of 18. Yeah. Now, yeah. I remember when my kids were little, I knew nothing about vaccines. I knew nothing about autism, but I knew that you weren't going to touch my kid with some funky needle yeah. that I didn't know where it came from. And yeah. I, you know, and then as I developed in my career and I really began to see the religious aspects of it, vaccination is a form of idolatry. And, Interesting. Yeah. you know, you are you going to substitute god's will for pharma's will and mm -hmm. you know and then it kind of all evolved from there but even that i'm i've sort of passed that now and and i'm strictly statute you know the statute in new york prohibits adult mandates as opposed to school where mm -hmm. they they definitely can mandate they they cannot tell an adult unless you're in school Mm -hmm. to get a vaccine. I wanted to share with you on this uh, whole thread. Did you did you see um, Jack, our friend Jack, James Lyons Weiler? Let me find it here. His big news that he has got, he partnered up with um, an MD to rework oh, yes. the Vaxxed Unvaxxed study, and he has a publisher. Big news, IPAC phase two Vaxxed versus Unvaxxed study to be published Monday. Monday. So if if you don't already follow Dr. James Lyons Weiler, do so. Go to it's on Substack. Uh, Popular Rationalism is the name is his of his Substack, James Lyons Weiler. And and I'm sure Informed Choice Washington will be putting a post up about this. It's so exciting that his that this is going to be published again. This is 10 years worth of data from um, let me stop the share here from Dr. Paul Thomas's clinic, where he gave, he honored informed consent. He gave fully informed consent and he respected parental choice. Mm -hmm. And so in that 10 years in with children born into his practice, so he followed him the whole way, he had almost fully vaccinated. Not, I don't believe anybody in his practice got that birth dose, happy, um, but a lot of the vaccines, a few of the vaccines, and then some who got none. And the data on the long, the health outcomes um, are staggering, as we saw with the first. Um, and, and just a, a quick update for people this, who might not have heard this. When the, the data was originally published in the first study, what partly motivated it was the Oregon Health Authority went to Dr. Paul Thomas and said, hey, we hear you're not vaccinating all the kids in your practice. You need to prove to us that your non-vaccinated kids aren't any less healthy than the vaccinated ones. 
So they, he did, you know, the right thing and they did a study on the data and lo and behold, it turned out that the fewer vaccines a child had, um, the better the health outcome, all, all of their health, not just whether or not they got, you know, pertussis for a week, but the overall health, there was the lower rates of autism and, um, allergies, all sorts of, of issues. They list them all, all in, and um, how often they were sick. They're yeah. just healthy and the fewer and the kids who got none were the healthiest of all. It's there in the data, it's indisputable. Um, but when he published this within days of it being published, the Oregon Medical Board decided they would pull his license and start challenging him. <laughs> like well you guys wanted to know here it is um and so just like with the covid shots all for decades leading up to now the cdc has refused to look to see if exposure to these products if avoiding measles in childhood and avoiding these you know getting an injection to temporarily avoid the symptoms of these infections because none of the the shots last forever if that led to healthier children and lo and behold, it is not leading to healthier children or healthier adults. And this is what they refuse to acknowledge because they're going to have to admit that these products um, cause long-term harm. And, you know, maybe there just is a better way, you know, when night, when it's just like with COVID, when, when 99% of the population can survive an infection and do really well and develop very natural vigorous immunity. natural immunity yeah. shouldn't the science the money be focused on one you know who are the people that succumb and don't have good outcomes and two what can we do to improve their odds and let everybody else have the best treatment available which would be of course case of covid would be ivermectin and vitamins and hydroxychloroquine and hbot and all the good things we've talked about on this show okay so Enough of squirreling with that. But so many people, Patty, through the journey of COVID and the government pushing the most dangerous shot ever pushed on anybody, they have woken up. Are you seeing are you yeah. seeing even in New York? Are you seeing some people that that are surprising you that they're figuring it out? Are you beginning to see it there? Yeah, I mean the only people that appear to me to be confused are the media. <laughs> even uh, like when you look at the press that I got, I, you know, a lot of it was good. But mm -hmm. gosh, the cheap shots, you know, one one uh, reporter said I subverted the legal process going to Justice Thomas. Like I hoodwinked the Supreme what? Court. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I would have I would have salami outside of the, the Supreme yeah. Court to get in the door. I, I hardly hoodwinked anybody. Um, but, you know, other than, uh, well, New York, too, is is way, way left. I mean, yeah. they're, it's crazy. And I never, I never quite fit in here. Uh, I never <laughs> did. And I, I paid a lot, a big price for that. You know, originally mm. when I started this, I think people kind of tolerated me and they were like, oh, you know, it's that hippie lawyer and, you know, just <laughs> give her the exemption and she'll go away. 
<laughs> and then, and then you know, then it, then they real well. What did Gandhi say? First they laugh at you, right? Then they they fight you, and then they win. Then you win. I think I missed a step, but yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and then you win. And it was mm -hmm. a lot like that. You mm -hmm. know, they they definitely laughed, and and then they they fought. They fought hard, and now we're winning. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy about that, but I I think New York is is bizarre, you know, California uh, too. Um, but I love New York, and I I I don't want to leave it. All my friends are here, my family, and um, I I don't want to go. I don't want to jump ship. But it's it's out it's of rough. control. Yeah. It, yeah. New York City looks like Calcutta. I mean, when you visit New York City places where I worked uh, downtown, were beautiful. You know, beautiful parks. Now they're yeah. just filled with homeless uh, needles everywhere. Mm. All uh, so many businesses closed from COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, shut. I needed a bathroom. I I couldn't. I had to drive to Connecticut to go to the bathroom. So, uh, no, really, you can't get in anywhere. It's, well, it's yeah, because really if, if you weren't vaxxed and mm -hmm. yeah, I wanted to um, share with um, our listeners and viewers here your website, which is your name, patriciafinnattorney.com, patriciafinnattorney.com. And it's not updated with this good news. And let's just say that Patty's been too busy to update her website. So, well, you um, know, I, I actually went, could you leave it up for a minute? Yeah, I, you bet. I went to, to update it. Okay. And if you see this little girl's picture, she looks just like me, doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, she's so a little cute. redhead. Yeah. Um, this, this little girl uh, uh, died. I think you're, yeah. you know about this case. Yes. And I actually proved that a, a flu vaccine uh, led to her death. And it, it took me 12 years. Um, yeah. it, it was uh, absolutely brutal. I mean, she would be 18 now. Yeah. Um, and when we started the case, mm -hmm. um, and it, it was really a tragedy. So I, I went to update it and then I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to leave little Kaylin. No. You know, like I was telling you about yeah. Detective Marciano and mm -hmm. how he reminds me of my dad. Um, yeah. Kaylin uh, reminds me of me when I was oh. little. I mean, that's what I look yeah. like. And, um, yeah. And it was a tragedy. Um, but she did indeed uh, have a heart failure from a flu mm. shot. Oh, and, it's um, just heartbreaking. So, and yeah. it's, it's amazing to me how until COVID... I never once heard the CDC or the FDA or any pro-vaccine people say that any shot ever in the past caused myocarditis, but you're reading it now. They're saying, oh, well, yeah, a lot of vaccines have caused, rarely caused it. Well, she, this is... She died of myocarditis. Oh, that is, this, it's this so tragic. And, and I but hate, you, yeah, go and ahead. And I hate you. the fact that they keep on saying, well, you know, all of these viruses, they cause myocarditis. Nothing in the rate or range that these vaccines, flu or these mRNA uh, gene therapies, cause myocarditis. Right. No, not and not flu. everybody catches the flu every year. No. Or, you know, but you, you've got a 100% 
chance of, of risk if you get the shot every year. Um, and I, so I, I brought to your website and thank you for pointing out the, the lovely little girl. We're going to keep working in honor of, of her, of her family and honor of her memory. Um, there's a donate button. It's a little tiny donate button here. Is that what people would need if they want to help support you, Patty, and your good work that you're doing? Um, is that, um, a good yeah. place for them to go? Yeah. Unless it's a uh, big money and then uh, they could call me. Okay, there's her phone number. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm seriously, I like a, a big donation over 5000 or something like that. Yeah. You know, uh, we would uh, take that through our nonprofit and, you know, so the person would get a, a tax deduction. But, you know, anybody out there wants to kick in 100 or 200 um, and... That primarily that's where we've gotten the money. Mm -hmm. um, there is uh, also um, a website for Detective Marciano's case. Okay. And uh, you can certainly go to Make America Free Again and become a member. Our goal, um, our goal is to get 80 million members. And uh, with the membership, I mean, it's going to be kind of hard to fight 80 million people. I yeah. don't know how they plan plan to do that. But uh, anyway, you know, back to New York and and what's going on here. Uh, it's it's scary. I mean, mm -hmm. I know you recently relocated to Bernadette, right? Because yep, I'm in. I'm issues. in. I'm in Tennessee and I love it. Within a couple of weeks of us moving here, the um, county commissioners passed a resolution making us a constitutional sanctuary. We, we're not quite sure how that's gonna play out. We're keeping our eyes open for how government works and how people are behaving, you know? Um, but yeah, the, the attitude here is fabulous. Among the people, but I've got to tell you, that here as everywhere, the corruption of the health system, you know, um, Vanderbilt Hospital, Vanderbilt University is just as bad as the University of Washington. Javier dealt with them. Um, you sent University of Washington brilliant letters, fully cited, giving the law, giving the ethics, giving the science, and they, they just ignore you. Um, it's it's really bad. Um, and here in Tennessee, I guess the governor's finally stepping in. Although, I guess before we moved here, there was some legislation that would have put, put a stop to it. But the Vanderbilt Hospital here will do those um, gender changes for children, for minors. It's horrible. Um, but I guess it reached to a certain point, and now the governor is is calling for an investigation into what they're doing. But I guess what I mean is anywhere you go, you can't just relax and say, okay, I'm in the land of the free. I can, I can Not relax. Anymore. No. Um, and you know, the problem is we never really should have. If we had incorporated in our lifestyles, the understanding that you do certain things to protect your freedom and you pay attention in certain areas, even if you're tired and you don't want to go to that meeting or pay attention to this, that, but we didn't have that. We, we, we felt safe when we weren't because, well, you know, though, I don't think the three of us felt that way ever. I mean, I, well, I know you, none of either of you have, and I never did. Well, I was complacent until about my fifties or so. Um, 
Well, maybe a little before that, when I started having issues because of this school my son was attending and and they were doing the same thing with PCBs contaminating the school grounds um, that the whole vaccine industry does is just saying, oh, you can't prove it. Oh, it wasn't us, you know, kind of ridiculous nonsense. Um, You know, and I began to really wake up and it was, you know, the mama bear wanting to protect my kid. (laughs) Right. And that put me in touch with the whole medical freedom, informed consent, vaccine injured movement individuals and here i am today but before then patty i confess i didn't know the names of my legislators i had never visited olympia except for a field trip in elementary school Mm. you know so i you know i was one of the complacent people i admit it i find that hard to believe (laughs) well you know there's probably things that i did that i was passionate about but it wasn't I wasn't paying attention to freedom and I wasn't actively civically involved in, in government at any exactly. level other than I, I, I voted. That was it. So, um, but you a know, lot of people I, have figured out. Yeah. Well, go on, go on. No, I'm I, done. I was <laughs> just going to tell you a little story that, you know, when I was in undergrad, I'm embarrassed to say this. Um, I was a philosophy, well, I'm not embarrassed, but I was a philosophy major at a party school and uh, it was, I went to West Virginia University and, and even back then I was really looking for an answer. And I remember when I graduated, I said to my professor, I don't know what you said, like, I don't even understand. And he said, don't worry, it's, it's in there, you know, and it, it'll come forward. But, you know, can't, can't pay the bills on a on a major like that right yeah and uh, you know then i went to grad school and i got involved in you know i was in public administration which is the hippie equivalent of an mba and um even then i and then and then i became an attorney uh because i just was never satisfied and i i I really truly believe in the Constitution and our rights and you know maybe I couldn't articulate it as well as I I can now Um, but that's from two things it's from confidence and experience but when Mm -hmm. I started you know and I got the tar beat out of me and I didn't really understand a lot of what I was doing but always inside me I knew it was wrong. I, mm-hmm. I knew uh, injecting drugs like that, mm-hmm. the, the telling me I have to, nobody was telling me, yeah. especially my children. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I don't think so. But um, fortunately, they, they've remained loyal because I've represented a lot of children uh, who turn 18 and their parents fought like crazy not to vaccinate them and they they can't take it and they they're just giving in to the covid shot or whatever because mm-hmm. they want to go to school they want to play sports and here in new york it's it's really very difficult to get an exemption oh that is it's just so it's so heartbreaking when you protect them all through their childhood and then and that it's yeah. the most impressionable kind of Part of your life when you're a young right. adult and you want to fit in and you you feel invincible and you make reckless choices it's just it's so hard but you know we're gonna keep praying and keep working to yes. to protect 
um, the youth and the young adults um, moving forward. I had a thought that went out of my um, head. Mind if I, my thoughts. Oh. Mind if I ask a question? Uh, so now that you, you've been, uh, I don't know if selected is the right word, but uh, Judge Thomas has basically said this is uh, worthy of uh, the Supreme Court's time and attention. Has, have you been given a date or have you, do you oh, have yeah. to actually defend you know, yourself at this point? Or defend your hearing, hearing you say that, like look at the smile on my face. I know. <laughs> again, again. Oh, so, so Judge Thomas basically said they're going to take your case at, in the Supreme Court of the United States this year, correct? Yes, that's right. It's actually uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, October 7th. And a decision on October 11th. If I get a decision, I mean, you know, the full panel could decide that I got to work my way through. Mm -hmm. But what I mentioned uh, is there are no factual issues. No, there, right. There's nothing to go back to. There is absolutely nothing to remand. Either, either New York law allows adult vaccines or it doesn't. You know, it, it's, the, it's a paragraph, the statute. Wow. And uh, it's it's pretty clear. And I, I did bring up uh, the emergency use um, right. uh, aspect. And I had, you know, many, many lawyers had attempted that. And it seemed to fall on deaf ears. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I worked with a lot of great people. And uh, we really revi revised it and refined it and, and kind of, not that the court needed a dumbing down, mm -hmm. um, but the issue is so clear, it's it's beyond belief. Uh, PCR masks and vaccines are emergency use products. Mm -hmm. you, um, you have to consent. And uh, you, you know what, Bernadette, you remember when we were first looking at, at this issue, you were mm -hmm. helping me find uh, the notices and things like that. I really struggled with it for a while. I was like, what, huh? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, now I, I you know, I absolutely, I, I totally grasp that issue. So, you know, that's that's in there, in there too. Yeah, there that's really good. That. So we got liability that, the, 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 this is where I, I was hoping Justice Sotomayor would, um, maybe be interested because of Bruce mm -hmm. the reason that they are mandating you to, to get the shot is for um, it, it waives liability there are no licensed uh, COVID vaccines in the United States it's illusory the commonarty is a licensed vaccine without a product so the only drug you get in, in the United States is the EUA, mm -hmm. and it, it implies informed consent. And so if you get hurt, you get nothing. It's, it's the PREP Act uh, not, knocks out any liability protection. That is why they don't distribute a licensed vaccine in the United States. That took me a while to, to be able to quite figure that out. And that's quite that's quite the legal trick that FDA managed to pull off for uh, <laughs> Pfizer, Moderna and uh, Johnson and Johnson. 
I was just going to say that, that that release in August, the way they worded it, you know, they said, oh, it's licensed. Oh, but by the way, <laughs> it's not really licensed. Yeah. That was pathetic. That was sickening. Yeah, really well, sickening. we know that <clears throat> they're attempting to keep the products under the PrEP Act under EUA, but even as that gets whittled away as they give these ridiculous licenses to these dangerous, ineffective products. I mean, if, they're, if, if they'll license the Pfizer COVID shot, they'll license anything. Yep. I mean, hey, let's get together and make something and send it to the FDA, you know. If it's dangerous enough and ineffective enough and we're going to make enough money, they'll license it, right? That's what it seems to me to be. Um, and again, I'm squirreling on that. Um, in fact, I can't no, even get right. back to where I was going. No, <laughs> you're so right, Bernadette, you were the one uh, that helped me to understand that. You know, we, we spend oh. a lot of time on yeah. that. Yeah, so that, yeah, that was my point, is that they want to keep it under there until they can shift it over underneath the umbrella of the 1986 National Childhood uh, Vaccine Injury Act. In order to do that, they have the, the CDC has to have a licensed product that they recommend either to children or pregnant women, you know, and they're really having a hard time making, making, you know, getting it to the fully licensed for that age. And then CDC has not made the full recommendation on the actual schedule. You know, they haven't put it in and I don't know what they're, at what point they're going to be doing that, but we know that it's coming. Why do you um, think that shift. they had such a restructuring at the CDC? Oh, yeah. But you know what's really concerning? They, they say, oh, well, we're admitting we did things wrong. But everything that we believe they did wrong is what they said they didn't do enough of. Well, it's, that's what that's why yeah. Walensky, I mean, the reason that you have all the all the data that's coming out of the CDC is because mm -hmm. there's people leaking information and there's people that actually have consciences and, you know, have ethical standards that yep. they're now going to restructure and get rid of because, well, under the guise we made mistakes. Yeah, they made mistakes in actually hiring pe competent people with ethical backbones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are we yeah. doing on time here? Well, we've got like just about three more minutes. So, Patty, I'm so proud of you, your hard work, your refusal to give up. You're my favorite conservative hippie on the planet. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm right with you. I'm, I'm with you. I get it. I, although I was always of a nerd, you know, kind of a, a, a crunchy nerd science geeky kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, so remind people again where they can find you and how they can support your good work. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, I, I have been under the radar a little bit the last six months, uh, you know, primarily because of the work I was doing was so intense and I kind of limited uh, media interviews. I was offered a media spot on Fox last week and... Ooh. You know, I, well, I had to decline it because my client is restricted from uh, interviewing and, you know, I didn't really know what was going on. And I, you know, now I feel more comfortable. So mm -hmm. um, anybody, though, can find me, uh, you know, on Google, uh, Facebook, whatever, Twitter, the whole thing. And uh, you can go to PatriciaFinnAttorney.com. 
and uh, make a donation, um, please uh, consider joining Make America Free Again. Our goal is 80 million members, and uh, we believe with a, a lobby like that, it's going to be unstoppable. And I would ask that all of you do uh, keep an eye on, uh, thank you, that's the society, but I would mm -hmm. ask that each of you uh, keep an eye on, on some of the work that I'll be doing in the next couple of weeks, including the Supreme Court and a couple of other uh, big cases that uh, are coming down and I can assure you that it's a lot of uh, love and blood and sweat and tears uh, that went went into it it was yeah. it no words to yeah. describe yeah but, uh, thank you both I, you're I love welcome you thank you Javier oh. it's so good to see you yeah well again congratulations um and just keep that smile going we're going to send good uh energy prayers your way and then we'll have you back on when you get your decision oh thanks okay. a lot all, all right. right peace out God yeah bless peace you. out that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to Informed Choice Wa dot org today we need a revolution there's only one solution i need somebody to show me somebody to show me love we need a revolution 
Welcome back to an Informed Live Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Glad you're here with me today and glad that Javier Figueroa, Dr. X, is in the house with me today. Hey. Hello. Yeah, we did it again. We ran up against the music. and and But I, I think Patty's last word of peace out was fabulous. So. Perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, but before we bring on our next guest, another fabulous attorney, perhaps heading to the Supreme Court also. I wanted to to share with um, our listeners a couple of fabulous other um, law firms that they need to know about, like, you know, especially like our Informed Choice Washington listeners um, are the bulk of the sponsors of this show. They make um, monthly donations. And so I want to tell them about two particular ones in the Pacific Northwest and then a third that's fairly close, but we have got the Silent Majority Foundation. Um, Silent Majority Foundation is doing really good work. They've got a, a, a lawsuit right now. I don't recall the exact details, but going after Inslee for his illegal, um, some of his illegal orders. And they're... What, one particular case, they gave an update recently. They're making some progress here. They're 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 staying in there. Uh, their case has not been dismissed, which is is really good. Uh, Pete Serrano is the attorney with them, um, and just brilliant young man. Um, oh, I think of him as a, a young man. I don't I'm not even sure his age, but he just he does great work. So I wanted people to um, know about that. The SilentMajorityFoundation.org. This is an organization that could use your support. If you're looking for a place to direct any extra coffee money that you happen to have, um, that is one that could really use your help. And they're doing great work right in the state of Washington. And then another one that works in the Pacific Northwest is the Pacific Pacific Justice Institute, PGI. Their website is um, pacificjustice.org. And they've done some great work uh, helping people with religious exemptions, with job loss, with a whole lot of of issues going on. Uh, Go check them out. They are also a nonprofit. They work only by donation. Pacific Justice Institute. Um, and Informed Choice Washington recently partnered with both of those law firms on some comments to the OFM, the Office of Financial Management in, in Washington State. Because Javier, like we talked about in the first hour, where Inslee did a not an a, not an order, but a directive, right. a gubernatorial directive, saying that, you know, he he wants to have all state workers continue to be required to get COVID shots. And he directed the office of financial management to do what they could to make it happen, at least for certain agencies, which is a lot, small cabinet and executive agencies. It's a lot. And then he indicated that others need to move in that direction as well. So they're using the rulemaking authority that they have in order to try to mandate these shots. Well, the way it works is, um, and I think it's pretty much in all states, but for sure in Washington state, the legislature passes laws and they're pretty generally worded. And then in order to 
put those laws into practical usage, rules have to be written so people understand how to follow the law. And so different agencies, the Board of Health, Department of Health, Office of Financial Management, they have rulemaking authority in order to write rules, but they have to be carrying out something in the law. Right. They can't make up new law. Their rules have the force of law, but only if they are explaining how a real law will take effect. In this case, they are citing two statutes in Washington that absolutely doesn't say that they have any right to mandate a medical intervention on their employees. It's ridiculous. Um, You can go to our website, go to informedchoicewa.org, and you'll see in the recent news, there's a posting. It's yellow with a megaphone. Um, You'll see our most recent update, and um, you'll be able to read our most recent comment. So Informed Choice Washington, we we submitted our own comment, but also one jointly with the wonderful Silent Majority Foundation and um, PGI uh, Pacific Justice. So go check that out. I'm... Javier, are you feeling hopefulness like I am? Some excitement yes. that Yes, but it's gonna be a slog no matter what. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But it's you know, we have to yeah. celebrate every little victory along the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Because it's Absolutely. it is a long slog and and we're all still learning. And people are every day, every day more and more people are saying, I can't do this anymore. I know I now understand what you're saying. And what I love about the people on I, I guess our side, I don't want there to be sides, but those of us who are further down the journey of understanding the corruption, let's put it that way. No, I told you so. Open arms. Ah, oh, yay. Come with us. You know, yeah, exactly. um, so we welcome, uh, we welcome defectors as Lisa, my fr- dear friend, Lisa <laughs> likes to say, we, she told the board of health that once it was so funny at the end of her comment. She says, just by the way, just know that we would welcome you if you wanted to, to defect. So um, <laughs> anyway, okay, I'm Bernadette is babbling, Javier. But our next guest, I'm very excited to have this pairing. We had Patty Finn with her, her case that's going to be before the Supreme Court in early October. And now we also have here Greg Glaser. Um, he is attorney with Physicians for Informed Consent, but he's also, I believe, the chief or one of the two chief litigators with the control group. And I'm I'm not an attorney. I want to go back to school and learn some better legal language so I'm not fumbling all over the place. But Greg Glaser, welcome back to an informed life radio. Thank you. Yes, it's so nice to be on the show again. Um, and and you're gonna get optimism from me because that is all I have today. It is just <laughs> Yay! Filled Yay! With, I mean, there's so much winning happening right now. Good. It is remarkable. Uh, before the break, Bernadette, you said that you uh, we're a science nerd or are a science nerd. And yes. I wanted to know like, how far along are you? So there's, I have Gary Larson comic strips in my office nerd, or <laughs> it, I have beakers in my living room. nerd. Like that. Well, I, you know, I've got a miniature Tesla coil. <laughs> That's nerdy. Beakers. Yeah. That, that is so, you know, in my, before I became an advocate, I was a fiction writer 
And I wrote historical mystery series. And my, my sleuth is a professor of electrical engineering at the time of Tesla and Edison. Don't ask me anything about electricity now. When I'm deep in my writing, I know what I'm talking about. I surround myself with the information. And, and then I also have my writing vetted by actual engineers to make it accurate. Um, but I loved it. I love reading about invention and science. Um, I do have like one of the plots. So it was really fun. Um, You're squirreling. I'm, oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> he asked me, I'm a science nerd and I was about to give you some science. Okay. I guess I answered your question. Yeah. And I actually, I know, <laughs> I know one electricity joke, which is um, resistance is futile if less than one ohm. <laughs> 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 the fellow All nerds right. are, are, are going to like that one. So I've also been called a, a nerd, a vaccine nerd, because mm -hmm. um, I have tried to amass the most authoritative compendium of evidence possible and get it into court. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe I've done that, which is our control group case. Yeah. Um, so, so, so bring our listeners up to date. Start at the beginning. Explain this amazing idea you had and how it was implemented and what you've got, the science. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so we're in federal court and my clients are the control group, the unvaccinated Americans who have never gotten a vaccine in life. And so we asked them about their health. We did a full um, survey to them and said, you know, do, tell us about your diagnoses. How confident are you in your results? We use the same methods used by the U.S. Census to set in national policy, set national health policy. Okay. It's the Children's Health Survey. We, we did the same thing. And what we found was that our 1,482 participants are the healthiest people on the planet. They are beyond healthy. Um, it's, it's like they took a time machine back to the 1950s when everyone was healthy. It's, it's amazing. And, and these people, they're not Amish. Like they're not, you know, like just eating from their garden and like totally out in nature. They're, they're going to Target. They're going to, you know, they, they, they're going to public school. They, they, they live amongst us. And, and, and so these <laughs> people, amongst us. right. Um, <laughs> and so the only thing that's different about them is they're completely unvaccinated. And so um, what we calculated their, uh, their health measure um, and the statistical likelihood that they could just by random accident be over 1,200% healthier. And um, we found the statistical odds that all of our evidence could just be chance to be so astronomically low. You're basically, we prove that vaccines are causing chronic illness in society. We prove that vaccines are harmful for mankind. Wow. And we proved it with such confidence, with above 99% confidence that we are so confident that our number, that uh, the likelihood that we're wrong um, is smaller than like the chance that you're going to win the lottery twice. It is, it's, we're, it's, we're that confident. And so, and we got this all verified by multiple physicians and PhDs. They submitted declarations under oath saying these methods are valid. This evidence is good. Um, this matches what you see at the CDC. And we presented it all to a federal judge in February of last year. What a hearing that was. Um, we later found out the judge owned over $500,000 of vaccine manufacturer stock. Um, and he recused himself from the case. But that only recently happened. Before that happened, he dismissed our case out of court and said, you, you, you can't sue 
the president of the United States for the vaccine program. You've got to sue somebody else. Uh, oh, so we, okay. we disagree. We think that all roads lead to POTUS um, because it's his vaccine program. He since since he signed it in 1962, um, the, the National Vaccine Program, he is the one who directs uh, the CDC. He is the one who finances it, uh, supports the policy of mandates, mandates on federal facilities. Our clients are U.S. military families. Um, and so, you know, we had all these points of nexus that pointed to the president. But anyway, we submitted all this evidence in court and the case just got kicked out. And so now we're up on appeals. We went through the Ninth Circuit, which was quite a journey. I got another judge to recuse themselves for the same reason. And then now we're at the stage of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I have learned a lot in this process. And what I've learned is that you have to be at the right place at the right time. Um, there is such a thing as a good argument. <laughs> and I believe we have those. That's basically what I've said so far. But there's also such a thing as being at the right place at the right time. And I think that's happening. Um, COVID changed everything. Mm-hmm. It is, I, I almost kind of laugh looking back at the pre-COVID era and how, you know, lawyers and activists thought we would be able to change this system. It almost took, it, it took a COVID, you know, to, to yeah. do what's currently happening in society. Mm-hmm. And so now we're seeing more, um, more and more what's called, what used to be called vaccine hesitancy is now called vaccine awareness. It is people are aware of vaccine risk. Yep. Oh, well, we're calling it that. They're still writing. In fact, I'm going to scroll just a little bit because I was I was looking for the most recent um, publications on that issue and looking particularly for Dr. Doug Opal that I was who's written about that term extensively. And he came up with the presumptive method of the doctor just walks into the office and he doesn't say, would you like to get your child the flu vaccine? Instead, they say, oh, it's time for the flu vaccine. Nurse will be right in. Presumptive mm-hmm. method is what they they teach now. But I saw on this page, the this article that he is on, and um, oh, who's that guy? He's a professor of ethics. I'll try to, I've got on my other computer here. I'll pull it up. Art Kaplan. Talking. Art Kaplan is on it. Peter Hotez is on it. And the name that leaped out at me that just shocked me because I didn't know she was involved in this whole thing was Chelsea Clinton. Of Chelsea course Clinton she is. is an author on this paper. Of course she and is. They were saying they were looking at how effective uh, COVID-19 mandates would be state mandates, school mandates on increasing. And they said, um, you know, the use of these shots over the the past year or so have clearly shown them to be safe and effective. And so we know it's the right thing to do to mandate. It's just the most appalling thing. But I'm, I, I like your term, vaccine awareness, instead of vaccine hesitancy. So let's try to get that into the vernacular. Oh, yeah. And, and, you're, and you're doing that. Um, you know, you are part of the gentle slope that for people to come to the movement, um, the movement of vaccine awareness and, and, and say, OK, you know, I have a science background. I, you know, I tend to trust authority and, you know, show me what you have. And that science focus at Informed Choice Washington has really helped bring more and more people to awareness and, well, and, and not just awareness of vaccine risk, because that's, that's just part of it, of natural healing. You know, that mm. there are remedies out there. It's so key. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. So yeah, and, you have and, to you have to offer them that because the fear, the fear, the fear, you're gonna die of measles, you know. No, do you have some vitamin A? You're not gonna die of measles. You know? Right. 
Yeah. And, and actually, and it was proved in a, um, in a very important uh, book. Um, the book was Thomas Kuhn, um, Scientific Revolutions. Um, I'm not sure oh, if you're familiar with Scientific it. Revolutions. Thank you. Yes, it is a seminal book. And, and, and he proved it. Um, he said that if you have new information that changes the scientific paradigm, like meaning new information that changes the CDC paradigm, that's not enough. You also need to offer concurrently the better alternative, the solution. And that, for example, in the case of measles, would be vitamin A. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but it's not enough just for, for vitamin A to be out there in the ether. People have to know about this and they have to be mm-hmm. able to implement it. And so it's going to be a collaborative effort of professionals and of parents working together and general thinkers, you know, coming mm-hmm. together and sharing information. And the game changers, we have the Internet, you know, we can share information. And uh, another game changer is that um, the old institutions that used to just ride on their laurels are not finding that so easy. Um, in fact, I think personally, Anthony Fauci is more of a liability than an asset to anyone who's trying to convey a message these days. And yeah. I think, and I think he knows it. Yeah. Um, and that's why he's no longer in the picture. Um, the people in power are very sensitive to their image and, you know, public relations. Um, we know this from FOIAs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are very sensitive to their image and will uh, make changes in their programs um, once people uh, no longer trust their programs. And yeah, which is, right. you know, pe- people don't trust the masks, for example. If I make, if I make a, a scenario, this is just shooting off the cuff. Uh, I imagine that if we were to actually look at, say, uh, text messages or some communications between Anthony Fauci and other third parties, there was probably a conversation saying, Tony, aren't you getting a little bit older? Wouldn't you like to do something else? Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> yeah. There's several boards that we would love to have you on. Consider it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That would be a fly on the wall in some of those yeah. conversations, huh? But all yeah. hypothetical. I'm just pretending. It's uh, off the yeah. And, and, and I think they select people to be spokesmen. You know, I think that's why Dr. Walensky was selected, you know, not yeah. for not for her master's in public health. Oh, she's just so creepy to me. I'm so, yes, the way she looks in the camera and says that she's afraid. It's like, you know, I mean, just stand in a crowded theater and say fire. What? What are you doing? That's not what a leader is supposed to do. You're supposed yeah. to. She's trying to push Maybe. the boosters right now. And and it's oh, just yeah. falling on deaf ears. And that is yeah. where I think the definition of anti-vaxxer is so interesting. It's someone who is opposed to vaccine mandates, which is now clearly the vast majority of society. Exactly. Yeah. So these, these definitions are... Um, are kind of two edged swords, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and so now that people are aware, uh, I, I call this the red line phenomenon. It is everyone has a red line. I, I won't go there, right? Everyone has a vaccine. That's their red line. For some, it's a flu shot. Some, it's a COVID booster. Um, everybody's red line should be the swine flu vaccine in 1979 because it has been recalled, right? It had been yeah. recalled. <laughs> But, but before it had been recalled, many people would have been like, oh, yeah, sign me up for the swine flu vaccine. Um, so, so everybody's got a red line, right? So the question is, where is that red line in society, statistically speaking? And what we're finding now for the first time with the boosters is the majority is clearly on the side of the booster passes the red line. We, we, we don't want it. 
And so, so that's the shift that happened in society. And this is something I've noticed with courts, having helped several organizations litigate over the last several years, Physicians for Informed Consent, America's Frontline Doctors, Children's Health Defense, um, great organizations. And what I found is that courts tend to be the most conservative. Uh, they are the last to change. You know, if, if you want change in society, don't start with a court, right? That's usually the final process. It's after, after the system has changed, then courts are, will implement that change. And they're excellent for that purpose. They, will, and they, will, they have the strong arm of the law to implement change. Um, and so here, here I am. I have a case, an excellent case, that the record is so full and complete. Mm-hmm. Um, with, we introduced over 5,000 pages of uh, the most vetted documents from PubMed, medical encyclopedias, et cetera. I mean, we just built this record showing we calculated vaccine risk. People hadn't done that. We went through, we produced a 450 page statistical report showing there is zero risk of being unvaccinated in America. No, to my knowledge, no one had even done a hundred page report on that subject before. We did a 450 page with all government data. It is painful. And so, so it's all on the record. It's all public record. Nobody can take it away. And this is what is currently before the Supreme Court. And, and they have until mid-October, meaning in one month, to decide whether they will take the case. Oh. So what are the logistics of this? Mm-hmm. It means that there need to be four justices who think that the case is worth taking. Um, when you write a legal brief as a lawyer, you normally you argue your case. With a Supreme Court brief, it's a little bit different. Um, what you have to do is you have to convince the court. You have to persuade the court that your case is important. You don't actually argue the merits of the case. Like I have standing or I was injured. Rather, you say, this case has societal importance. Here's why it affects many people, or here's why it's an important issue. Or here's why there's a conflict in the courts. It's like, it's a different way to write a brief and it's fascinating. I'm ne- having to write one of these before. It's like, it's almost, um, as a lawyer, it's almost like, um, if you feel it's weighty, you feel very important when you're doing it. Like, wow, this, this really is important. And everyone that I know in this movement feels the same about this issue, that the unvaccinated control group is special. It is, it's like, it is unique. Um, it's powerful. And it, um, it's like the last bastion or the last hope, you know, those who are unvaccinated, they're like carrying the torch for all of the rest of us who've received vaccines in life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was vaccinated as a child, right? I don't do it anymore, but I was vaccinated as a child. So I wouldn't qualify. I mm-hmm. even, I can't even do my own survey. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm painted. Um, mm-hmm. but, but these, these pure, these pure individuals, these healthy ones, they're carrying the torch and they've brought it all the way to the Supreme Court. I, I have the honor to be their lawyer. And they brought all this all the way to the Supreme Court. And they've said to the court, let us exist. Yeah. Let us be in society. Let us go to school. You know, let us go to work without being discriminated against. You know, where we, you know, don't don't kick us out of school. Don't kick us out of, you know, government. Employee. If we, we want to join the military, let us let us be unvaccinated. Let us show you what we can do. We're the healthiest group. Um, and so, so that's our request to the court. Yeah. So yeah. Explain that a little bit more. First of all, I want to know if you're continuing to have, you're suing the president for this and then what it's so different from any case that I've ever heard before the way it's structured, because it's not like, it's not like with Patty Finn's case, uh, um, the New York City police officer or detective is told you, you have to get this shot 
And he says, I don't want it. This is like, so you're, what particularly, what are you asking to be provided? Yeah, we're asking, we're asking for a court order that immediately protects all Americans from mandatory vaccination nationwide. Meaning no matter who you are, you get to go to work, you get to go to school. It is the end of mandatory vaccination in America. That, that's our big request. And the reason why we're, we're saying you can sue the president is that um, the, our control group is everywhere. They're all over the nation. They are, yeah. you know, uh, one of our plaintiffs, her husband was deployed to a different state. And then all of a sudden her children are in a new school. We can't be suing the governor of one state and then bring in another governor from another state. And it's like, this, it doesn't work that way. We, there has to be a central place for, for um, a remedy. And so, the, and this is one of the key points about my entire case. And this, this right here will, will really perk your ears and you'll go, wow, this really is an important case. Okay, here, here's what's special. We were ahead of the curve. We were the first ones. While, while everyone else was kind of ramping up and just figuring out COVID and bringing emergency motions, we knew all of this was coming. Right. We, we predicted it. So we built our entire case even before COVID began. We knew it was coming. And we, we did the whole thing um, and went through the, all the appellate process, meaning that we went through all the briefing, their initial court hearings, the full Ninth Circuit you know, uh, appeals process, and all the way to the Supreme Court were the first ones to get there. Now, I, I know you've heard of other cases going to the Supreme Court, but those were emergency cases. Mm-hmm. Those were rushed cases. And Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett said she didn't want to hear any emergency cases. She said, you know, these these cases are they're not fully briefed. Well, I want give me a case that's fully briefed. That's my case. That's your case. We're the first ones. And so so with the first ones. And, and what did I say we need Four justices? There's always been three justices willing to take these cases. Justice Thomas, Justice Alito and Justice Gorsuch. Who's the fourth? Coney Barrett. Coney Barrett. That's the game changer. And so that's why I'm tremendously optimistic that next month could be our month. The only question for me, so the question for me isn't, do we have a good case? You know, do we make good arguments? I believe all that. The question is, is it the right place at the right time? Um, Question for you. Well, two questions. One, when you win, when the Supreme Court rules in your favor, we're going to be very optimistic here. What will happen? Will the president, whoever is president of the United States at the time, which if it happens quickly, it's Biden, have to issue an executive order um, saying that all vaccine mandates are now henceforth illegal? I mean, yes, it's in, in very, in, it's very similar to Brown versus the Board of Education, where the U.S. Supreme Court said one thing that changed everything. Separate okay. is not equal. Right. That okay. one statement changed everything because then every other case, every other government official all had to be in line with that. So they couldn't implement any policies that were separate. They could only implement policies that were equal. And so, so they, it's the same thing here. You don't, so the president doesn't have to do anything. The Supreme Court's decision will ripple down and everybody has to cease mandates. It's Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a little of both. Um, okay. It's that the, um, the president does have discretion to how he implements separate is not equal. 
He has oh. discretion for how to implement desegregation, but he has to do something. And and then and then in his process of doing something, he gets sued again and again by other lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> who are saying, you know, wait, we don't think you did it right here. Which is exactly what happened. So Brown versus the board was like the first case that opened the door. And after Brown versus the board, there were hundreds of cases afterwards. Like, well, can you do this? Or does this comply? Right. And so, okay. so that's the idea is we're trying to create, um, it's called creation of a remedy. We're trying to create the remedy that unvaccinated people are allowed to exist in society. There you it's go. such a no brainer to someone like me. Like, of course they should that be able to do science. Like, yeah. like to even do science. Like even if you love the vaccine program and even if you wanted to say it's safe and effective, you would still need a genuine unvaccinated control group. To prove it, you'd have to say, look, look at this unvaccinated control group. Look at how unhealthy they are. Like you would need to, yeah. <laughs> right? you need to yeah. say it to prove that. And so, so that, that's the point is that we have to preserve the evidence. That's the job of the yeah. court. No matter wow. which way the evidence goes, vaccines are dangerous or vaccines are safe. Either way, you need a control yeah. group. And so, wow. so that's our case to the court, which is why we think it's such a good case because even judges who are very careful and don't want to say, well, I don't want to, you know, rock the boat here. They can say, well, I do support a control group. You know, like, mm-hmm. who, who wouldn't support a control group? Well, obviously. <laughs> well, like, who, yeah. Right? yeah so. Pharma doesn't like control groups. Are you kidding? Um, yeah. So my, my other question to you, I'd like you to kind of expand on. You said you knew COVID was coming. Now, like my in my own and in some of our conversations we had pre-COVID, do I take it that you mean that, you know, we saw they were going to do something big trying to to push vaccines on us, push, you know, and there were those weird predictions by Fauci that something big is coming. And but explain what you meant. I was, I was the first one to find that, by the way. I was watching it live. Oh. No um, kidding. And, yeah. And so what I did is so I'm watching Fauci live, you know, and he's talking at this seminar. I know nobody else is watching. I just kind of put it on my mantle. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this, I'll, you know, bear it a four hour presentation, Fauci and all these other experts. And they were talking about, it was almost funny. They were like pulling out their hair going, Oh my God, who is this guy, president Trump? What is he going to do to us? And so they're, they're trying to strategize what to do. And then, and so I'm taking notes as people are saying, you know, all sorts of stuff about how do we prepare for pandemics? How do we get all our flu factory facilities ready? And then Fauci says, (laughs) you the next one is coming. Next and I, whoa, stop video. <laughs> Let me take this exactly <laughs> down and write this down. So I share it with, you know, our community, you know, I mm-hmm. share it with, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kennedy, for example. And, and, uh, and at the time, you know, we were kind of thinking, wow, okay, this, you know, they're just kind of talking about what they think is coming, but we always knew it was going to be something like we, we didn't know it was going to be a coronavirus. We didn't really mm-hmm. know that until 2019. Um, when they did the, um, the event 201. And even then it was, we weren't sure, you know, we weren't mm-hmm. sure it was going to be another type of polio or a Marburg. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's still a lot of speculation as to even what the next one is, but in, in any yeah. case, we knew it was coming. Yeah. And so um, once that information was out, then it was a matter of just building the case. So it was like assembling the dream team. What I did mm-hmm. is being in this movement and being, you know, general counsel of a doctor's organization allows me to, op- to open some doors. I'm very honored to have this opportunity. So I, I was able to locate who I know are some of our best researchers in the movement, people who read pharma stuff, basically people who spend time on PubMed. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I know these people. And, and so I assembled this team and we just got together and, and assembled the best evidence from 
decades long of pharma's best evidence consolidate, consolidated it into 5,000 pages. If you, if you can imagine how big it was, like I needed deep rest after this was done. Um, <laughs> you did. And, uh, and then amassed it and, and we sent it all to the president. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then after that, we, you know, we brought the case and now here we are on, uh, on the eve of, uh, the Supreme court deciding. And there were some interesting things that happened along the way, like in the ninth circuit. So the ninth circuit, they thought my case was so good that they specially chose it for oral argument. And they only choose about 10% of the cases for oral, oral argument. Oh, wow. It's rare for them to choose a case like mine. Cause I'm, I, it was just me and one other lawyer, Ray Flores you know, usually they choose, choose like the big law firm types. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're formidable, but we're small. And so they chose our case and I was very excited. And I'm reading the Ninth Circuit rules and it says, you must have a vaccine. You must have a COVID vaccine to enter the courtroom. Well, that's going to be a problem for me, obviously. Um, I'm being an unvaccinated lawyer. So I um, immediately filed a motion in court and said, I'm an unvaccinated lawyer. And I believe that this infringes my right to... Um, petition for redress of grievances. And it also violates the court rules. I, I should be allowed to, to be in court. Also, I have natural immunity um, as well to COVID. And after I filed my motion, <laughs> the Ninth Circuit uh, said that, you know, we changed our mind. We actually don't want to hear from you. We're going to put you in the 90% of cases that don't get heard. Aww. So we're just going to dismiss your case as moot. We're going to just say it's moot. And then in a very short opinion, they just dismissed it. And so in, in any case, um, uh, all of that happened at the same time that the trial judge, we found out the trial judge held all this vaccine manufacturer stock. So I make a motion to recuse the judge. And the judge immediately after he gets my motion, he recused himself. You know, I, I didn't know I, I was supposed to be on this case. And so but at the time we were in the Ninth Circuit. So the Ninth Circuit said, well, we're not going to respect the trial judge because you were already up on appeal. There's like layers. And it's like, once you're on the next level, you can't affect the lower level. So, so that happened. So we have this very unique procedural posture where the case, we we should be back at trial right now. You know, I should be getting discovery and, you know, calling witnesses, but instead we're at the Supreme court level and it could be for the best because it could be the U S Supreme court just comes through you know, like knights in shining armor and just fixes it, you know, just surprises everyone with a great ruling that upholds our rights. And, and, and I hope they do. Um, I, I, but I'm also not naive enough to think that it's going to be um, just good arguments. I think it's going to be the right place, the right time. I think this is a, a, a effort of a movement of a people. Um, it's kind of like the Dobbs decision that overturned uh, abortion. You know, that was a, that was a movement. That happened, and Dobbs was the culmination of that movement to to uphold uh, women and babies, and and so the uh, I think it's going to be the same thing here. Um, you know, the just like the pro life movement did a great thing in respecting life, and it culminated in Dobbs. Our health freedom movement has done a great thing in upholding our rights to remain natural and mm-hmm. unvaccinated, and it's culminating. And now I think the Supreme Court is willing to see it and willing to talk about it. And, and why would they be willing to talk about it? Because we're talking about it as a society. Yeah. The majority is now opposed to, to boosters. And that is something the Supreme Court can support. There you go. So I'd like to know that 
they're going to decide mid-October whether to hear the case, correct? Whether to, correct. okay. And then if they, when they decide, yes, this is worthy of us to um, hear, do you get to then go speak before? Is it argued? Is there somebody on the other side or is it just? Yeah. That would be that the work? Department of Justice. Um, so it would be uh, me. Why the DOJ? Uh, the DOJ officially represents the president of the United States. in litigation. Oh, okay. And um, technically at the Supreme Court level, it's the solicitor general within the DOJ's office. Okay. Um, And uh, yes, I would travel to Washington, D.C. this spring or spring of 2023. And there would be uh, many amicus briefs submitted as well, like Children's Self-Defense already submitted an amicus brief for us. We're very happy to have uh, Mary Holland. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, I would just want to say that, you know, some of my favorite lawyers are Ray Flores, Patty mm-hmm. Finn, and Mary Holland. Um, these are down-to-earth lawyers who mm-hmm. are um, helpful, you know. They're not mm-hmm. pretentious, um, open-minded, um, just thoughtful thinkers. You know, these mm-hmm. are, there's some really cool lawyers that work in this, in this field. Yeah. And um, I've benefited from their, their wisdom. Yeah. And uh, Informed Twist Washington drafted you one as well, but we missed the deadline, I think. So we're going to be at your next go around, I guess. <laughs> All right. I am so glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, what was my uh, what was my question? Oh, it, it's reminding me a little bit, like just at a state level, a much lower thing happened where we, Informed Twist Washington, asked the Board of Health to remove the DTAP, TDAP requirement for school because current science showed that um, not only didn't prevent infection or transmission, which is the main reason why you would use your state powers to compel people to use it for a school setting if it couldn't achieve that goal, but recent science showed that it skewed the immune system of the child if that's their first exposure to pertussis, and they never Mm -hmm. mounted a proper, made you forever vulnerable to Anyway, we had this strong body of science. The Board of Health said no. So we appealed the governor's office. And mm-hmm. that's what it, when you, you said who was representing, well, he gives it to his attorneys. Mm-hmm. And the attorney wrote to us um, and said, we're declining your appeal. Um, current science outweighs your argument. <laughs> and I, but your so argument I is back, current science. Yeah, we gave you the most recently, I mean, some of the science we sent them was only a couple of months old. And this was, you know, I mean, and this was all the kind of science that's respected or actually done by the CDC and the FDA. And, and, um, and I said, so where's the current science you say outweighs what we submitted? We want to see this. And the attorney wrote back, we have to ask for it. I said, what do you mean ask for it? You gave your, your, your answer, you denied our appeal based on it. You don't have it. Who are you going to ask? And they said the Department mm. of Health, which in your case, I imagine they're going to ask the CDC. And and uh, and then so they asked. And a few days later, I got four general links to like the general protestus page at the CDC, the general protestus page at DOH. It was it was no nothing oh, current. It was it was. Their- but I we had hit the ceiling. That was it. They denied it. What I love is that your case is going to be there. So you've got the Supreme Court. Um, you've got the most current, up-to-date, rock-solid evidence. And they've got all the fraudulent data at the CDC that the DOJ is going to try to pull. But we, 
you know, all of us know how to argue that. We know how to show it for what it is. Yeah, right? tr true. Um, the, in, I, in our case, the, the DOJ didn't even introduce any evidence to support the vaccine program. They, they only got to the point of just saying, you can't sue the president. You can't sue somebody else. Which means that, no, I, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. And the, um, the reason why that's so useful is because we're at, we're at a procedure, it's called a procedural posture. It's where the court has to accept our facts as true for hypothetical purposes. So they say, well, if it's true that vaccines were harmful, could you sue the president? Like that's the procedural posture right. or the case or the question presented to the court. And so it's very favorable um, uh, to, to us because now the U.S. Supreme Court next month has that benefit. They get, they get to say, okay, well, let's assume hypothetically that Mr. Glazer's right, that these vaccines are harmful to our nation and are not helping. Um, then would the president be the proper defendant? And if so, what would be the rights of this control group? Like, like, do they have the right to exist in society? And so the answer would be yes. <laughs> yes, they have the right to exist in, in, in society. And, and once that right is created, once that door is opened, then all of the other challenges can come. And you can challenge anything and win. You can challenge mandatory vaccination in Washington. You can challenge ma mandatory vaccination in California. You can challenge a... Um, you know, a Head Start program in Kentucky, anything, because now you have the right. It's It was the same with Brown versus the Board of Education. Once mm -hmm. you had the right, then all of the other cases come forward. If if I may make a prediction, and uh, this is basically uh, when you go to, uh, to the Supreme Court, uh, you'll know you're going to win when you see uh, a lot of um, 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 What's the what's the term I'm looking for? Um, a lot of shorts on vaccine stocks. <laughs> oh, that's the predict, that's the predictor right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's what we you know what we would love because all of this is being driven by money. Yeah. And one of the things you said, Greg, earlier on in the conversation, I've got to get really better. I never mentioned my guest name until the beginning of the end. Greg Glazer, you know, awesome attorney, control group litigation, positions for informed consent, um, is we need to really educate people and begin to integrate within our public health system the what they call alternative, and I say first choice paradigm. Why Why is the only thing our public health departments be able to talk about are vaccine products? You know, there there should be this wonderful database. Fauci finally had to he admitted he was taking vitamin D. Why isn't he standing up or whoever head of the NIH infectious disease getting up and saying, you know, we know that glutathione and acetylcysteine, we know if you keep your health up, get out there and get some fresh air. We know that's good for your immune system. Why aren't all of that is absent. It's just glaringly absent. And when you are successful, Greg, our public health agency has got to have that other solution, which is going to true health. They have to educate the public how to have true good health outcomes. Um, oh, and I, I so agree. And by the way, you just outed yourself as a nerd again by actually pronouncing NAC. Uh, nobody oh. does that. <laughs> All right. Yay. Uh, did I pronounce it correctly? So, it's the problem. 
uh, our, uh, our doctor's group, Physicians for Informed Consent, we highlighted in our educational document on COVID that vitamin D is one of the most um, studied of the remedies. It is just, it's so, it's, it's so obvious, even yeah. on PubMed, that this yeah. is a treatment for a viral infection. And so, yeah. um, and so I think that's a great resource that we have is, you know, this conventional science, peer-reviewed science that's on PubMed. And, and it is showing that these remedies exist. Um, but I think that PubMed is also underrepresentative uh, because, mm-hmm. the, because the doctors achieving the best health outcomes for their patients are doing so with um, nature, <laughs> Uh, yes. the, the, the natural remedies, you know, and with yeah. su- supplements here and there, like NAC, I don't know if that's, you know, so much nature as it is, um, you know, well, it product, is because it is, it's, it's a natural product. Exactly. It, it is. It's, it's one of the three peptides you need to make glutathione. You can get it in your food, but if you're in a, a fighting a virus or, you know, you, you took too much Tylenol, they give you NAC to quickly get your your levels up so you can make glutathione the body's master antioxidant. And, you know, I learned from Dr. Ted Fogarty, who I believe, you know, as well, I just love Dr. Ted Fogarty. Oh yeah. That all, all life has glutathione. And early on, there was a Russian researcher who published on PubMed um, or it can be found there. That's where they house these things that the symptoms of COVID looked like glutathione depletion, you know, and, you know, and it was, I was so kind of proud of a lot of Americans. I didn't realize how many people knew the most important things to take when you had a viral infection, but quickly Amazon ran out of the highest quality vitamin A, C, D, zinc, and NAC. And isn't it interesting that now the FDA is looking at NAC and trying to call it a drug instead of a supplement? Right. It's that potent. It's that absolutely powerful. So yeah, the education that we have to do. So people make decisions based on fact, not fear. Oh, one other thought um, occurred to me this afternoon. I was, for some reason, my head, I thought of orphan disease. You know, the term orphan disease and the governments will often fund um, a drug company to try to come up with a cure or a treatment for something, a disease that's really bad, but very rare. And it's not profitable for that company to research it. So the government says it's worthwhile. Why isn't vitamin C, D, zinc, everything considered orphan nutrients? But it's, it's flipped. It's something that we know benefits all of us, but there's no profit in saying so. So that's where our government should step in and say that we know that the pharmaceutical industry doesn't want to look at these things, but we are here for and by the people. And so we are going to give you that information. Right. Exactly. Is that too much common sense? Pharma would just mess it up. Like if pharma could get their hands on vitamin C, I feel like they would put additives in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we wouldn't necessarily want them to research any particular product to manufacture it. You know, we just, we just need them. They should be trumpeting. NIH should have on any time any virus breaks out, the first go-to thing to tell the public is, okay, you got your COVID kits ready, you got your flu kit ready, you got your measles kit ready, make sure you've got your vitamin A, you know, mm-hmm. know the dosage for your weight, know the dosage for, for child dosage, here's your precautions if you're on certain Medicaid. Why, go to the, we're human beings, these are the building blocks of our immune system. Why aren't they saying a word about it? It's infuriating. 
Yes, it was. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and I'm reminded of what pharma did to vitamin K. Um, pharma uh. made a mixture. They took something good, vitamin K, and mm-hmm. they mixed it with aluminum and benzyl alcohol. Aluminum is a neurotoxin. Benzyl alcohol is contraindicated for anyone under two years old. And yet, for the obvious reason that a baby liver cannot process benzyl alcohol. Mm-hmm. Pharma injects newborn babies on day one yeah. with benzyl alcohol and aluminum. And they call it, to add insult to injury, they yeah. call it a vitamin. They call and, it a vitamin. Mm-hmm. And, and so we studied that in our control group survey. Because we asked these mothers, you know, did you give the baby vitamin K or did the hospital give the baby vitamin K on the day of birth? Mm-hmm. What we found is that the children who got the that vitamin K shot um, were about a third as injured as the normal population, meaning really bad. Like mm-hmm. vitamin K injures that shot with aluminum injures a lot of people, especially neurodevelopmental disorders. Wow. Yeah. yeah, there there's not a whole lot of aluminum that vitamin K compared to say the hepatitis B shot, which has got 250 micrograms or more. Right. There's there's just a bit in there, the alcohol and the toxic high levels. I didn't know, you know, we let them give it to our son. I didn't even, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know 19 years ago what it was. It was a vitamin, whatever. Um, but, you know, nature, God, whatever you want to say, knows what they're doing. And it's in the Bible that you don't circumcise a baby until they're at least, what, seven days old, because the babies don't really clot well. They never have. Why? And I've heard some brilliant doctors talk about the fact that, you know, right after you're born, the birth process is very traumatic. The baby has a lot of healing to do, and you need the blood to be a certain way so that it could rapidly go deploy. You get this massive amounts of vitamin K in this toxic shot, it it makes the blood thick. It's very toxic to the liver. The babies end up getting jaundice. Um, And and so many other things can, um, that catapult from it. Yes, there were certain very rare instances where some babies, before they got the good clotting factors, had issues with bleeding. and yes, that needs to be addressed. But to give this shot to 100% of babies, when 100% of babies don't ha- won't have any issue at all, they don't have um, won't have bleeding issues anyway. So you're right. That's amazing that they're a third. It's that damaging at birth. To oh, that. it's 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 it's, it's terrible. Um, and so. Uh, this is something that we learned in how to conduct a control group study is, you know, you have to ask the mothers these questions. Mm. Were you vaccinated during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Did the baby get the um, uh, vitamin K, K shot? What about mm-hmm. Rogan? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you ask these questions to mothers so that you get a you know a picture of how healthy and natural their pregnancy was, because that, you know, sets the baby on course. Yeah. And one of the most surprising things we found was the low number of babies born with birth defects. Mm. And the reason why that is because a birth defect is something that you're born with, right? That's what they tell you. You, Your your baby was born this way. Mm-hmm. What we found is that the vaccinated babies have higher rates of birth defects. You know what that is? That's misdiagnosed vaccine injury. Babies mm-hmm. injected on, the day, on day one 
And then mother says, why is my baby like this? Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Your baby was born that way. Yeah. That's a birth defect. Yeah. And not so, that, yeah. that reminds me of Dr. Teresa Deicher would have a conference every year called um, Not Born With It. And we've got just one minute to go, Greg. Can you please tell people yeah. where to go to follow you, to donate, to help you with your work? Sure. Uh, folks can find out the Supreme Court status and updates on the case at informedconsentdefense.org. Informedconsentdefense.org. Fantastic. Um, write that all down. We're going to have the link also on. Support, Go ahead. I, I was going to say, and they can also support Physicians for Informed Consent. So that's physiciansforinformedconsent.org. We have a Facebook page where we host a vibrant debate. That's where we go head on with the haters and on Facebook yeah. and do a vibrant debate on vaccines. A lot of people shy away from the debate, but not us. We, we not, take it head on. Yeah. And if you're looking for, for, for fully cited information by doctors about um, an infection and disease, go to inform uh, or Physicians for Informed Consent. They've got handouts you can print out that are fabulous. And with that, we're going to have to say goodbye. Greg Glaser, thank you. Our prayers are with you. Keep going. October is going to be an exciting month in the Supreme Court. So thank you, Dr. X. Good to see you. Um, Everybody have a great weekend. You're listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 KW and CHD TV. We'll see you next week. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.